Thank you for choosing to connect with North Collins Wesleyan Church. We are a church of all ages that is passionate about sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. Our congregation enjoys worship, fellowship, discipleship, and community outreach. Our worship services are every Sunday at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. found in North Collins, New York. The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Justin Leininger. Again, thank you for joining with us, and we hope you enjoy. When I was in college, I had some friends who decided that they wanted to set up a manger scene in their dorm room. Now, I don't know what your opinion is on manger scenes, but I'm that person who I judge them a little bit harshly sometimes because this is the manger scene of Jesus. This is Jesus' birth. Like, this is important. And so if you're an artist and you're going to do this, you need to put some time and care into making this right. And if if we're honest with ourselves, we'll recognize that there are some beautiful manger scenes out there, right? Ones that are beautiful and artfully crafted and they are, are just fantastic. And then there are like the $10 manger scenes where you're not really sure what the artist was doing when they created this. But for some reason, Joseph is cross-eyed. There's wise men who have like arms of different proportions or something like that. And then there's like donkeys with three ears and all those kinds of things. And so when they set up this manger scene, it was one of those versions that we'll just say it was special. It was a special manger scene and it, it wasn't quite up to par. And so I did what any good friend would do. And what I'm recognizing right now, I maybe shouldn't share with you because it's probably one of the more sacrilegious things I've ever done in my life. But I would periodically go into their room and just hide baby Jesus for them. Just a little bit of hiding, like just hide baby Jesus. Because in the end, I thought to myself, I'm doing baby Jesus a favor, right? I mean, look at those wise men. We're not even talking about like the shepherds. Look at them. Like he needs to be hidden. And, and then in my mind as well, I've created another Christmas tradition, right? This is almost like Easter, but there's no chocolate when you find the special thing you're looking for. But there's something wonderful there. And of course, they had to do it. They had to participate because there's really no manger scene without baby Jesus, right? I mean, think about that just for a second. There's no manger scene without baby Jesus. If I hit a donkey or a camel or a sheep or something like that, it's okay, right? You can do without that. If I hide one of the shepherds, no one really notices anything about that. If I hide one of the wise men, now you may think to yourself, no, no, there has to be three wise men. Does there have to be three wise men? No, the truth is we don't know how many wise men there were. We know they brought three gifts, and so we usually make three of them. But there could have been two wise men, or there could have been 75 wise men. We don't know. Your manger scene is wrong. It's incorrect, probably. That's okay. And so that would be fine. They, you, could, you could miss all of those things. You could even make an excuse that you could miss an angel, because in the end, you could just say to yourself, no, they're invisible. It's okay. The angel is there in spirit, and that is okay. And, and we recognize, okay, Mary and Joseph, they are sort of central to history. But in the end, still, we recognize that they're not the reason we have a manger scene. They had to hunt for baby Jesus every time, because there is one reason and one reason only for Christmas for the manger scene, for all of it that we do in the Christmas season. And that is Jesus Christ. That is Jesus. Jesus changed everything. Without him, the manger scene is empty. But with him, the manger scene, and more importantly, the world is full. The first thing that Jesus changed about the world was the way that people saw it. 
He changed the way that people could dream for the future, the way that they could believe in what could come for their future, for who they would be, for what could happen in this world. The first thing that was changed in the world because of this child, Jesus, was hope. For us, when we choose to believe in Jesus Christ, choose to believe in the history of his birth, life, death, and resurrection, the first thing that should change for our lives is hope. Our hope for the future, the future of others, and the future of this world. With Jesus Christ first came hope. With Jesus Christ first came hope. Do you have hope today? For your future, for your family, for your relationships, for your community and nation, do you have hope? I know that many people in our congregation right now are going through a difficult moment, and that might be because of something in life. It might be because of relationships. Many of us just experienced Thanksgiving season with family, and, and we need some hope right now. As we look in our world right now, we recognize that there is an awful lot that can be dark. The truth is, whatever political party you find yourself on or side or just caught in the middle, like, what's wrong with all these people? Either way, we're all kind of in in a situation where we recognize we need hope. And many of us have people in our lives right now that honestly, maybe we have hope, but when we look at our friends, our family members, our community, the people around us, we see people that at times... and and I hope this isn't an insult, but it's just truth. You, you've seen it, I'm sure, where they just look a little bit dead in the eyes. Do you know what I mean by that? They're just, you see that there's no life there. There's a darkness, there's a heaviness, there's something that just, there's no hope. They go through life, but they, they don't know what to believe in, to dream in, and they're, they're just people who look and act in many ways defeated, right? And you see that in their eyes. From the first moment of Jesus' arrival and and through the hope-filled actions of his earthly father, Joseph. This morning, we're going to discover how each and every one of us can find hope in this world. And more importantly, the one big key, that if we have a world around us that needs hope, if we have people in our lives that need hope, if we have relationships that need hope, how we can bring hope to those people, to those relationships, to our community, to our family and friends. Now we find Joseph's story in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. If you want to turn in your pew chair Bibles, you're welcome to. That's found on page 955 in your pew chair Bibles. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 to 25. And this is what we find. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. It's the first book of the Gospels. The Gospels are the four books that's written about Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John And so we find in Matthew, of course, the start, the beginning to Jesus' life. And it actually starts with his father, Joseph. Matthew being a book that's written a little bit more from a a Jewish perspective on that. It's going to come from the father, from Joseph, from his side of things, from his view of things. And so that's where we start. And actually, the beginning of Matthew, we'll talk about a little bit, but we won't read because I think many of us would find ourselves drifting off if we did. The first half of Matthew chapter 1 is the genealogy of Jesus. And, and of course, Joseph. It's through Joseph's side of the family. So you just have this list of names. And sometimes in the Bible, when it's listing of names, that's not our favorite. That's okay. It is important. We will talk about that for just a few moments. But then when we get to verse 18, we actually see the news of Jesus' birth. And we discover his birth. And it's all through Joseph's eyes. And so this is what it says. Matthew chapter 1 Verse 18, it says, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. 
His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Verse 22 says, All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Why is Christmas such a big deal? Of all the holidays that we have, and we have many holidays, in fact, we find so many reasons to celebrate pretty much everything and anything. Why is Christmas the one that is the biggest deal? As we think about that for a second, we recognize that no other, no other tradition, no other holiday has all the things that Christmas has. I mean, they have little bits of it, and the funny thing is, is anymore, as we've kind of marketed holidays, we've tried to take Christmas things and add them to other holidays because we recognize Christmas has it all, and Christmas does it right, and, and we want all that. But Christmas has traditions, it has songs, it has candy, it has movies, it has meals, so, so much more than any other holiday, more than anything else we experience and celebrate. I mean, think about it just for a second. Other holidays, we celebrate for the holiday, and we celebrate for the times leading up to it, but Christmas, Christmas is an entire season that, that we all argue about when the start date for that is, but, but we recognize Christmas is, at least as far as I know, the only holiday where, where we actually sell boxes in stores where you can get a little prize for the 24 days leading up to Christmas, right? And you can take out a little chocolate or a little Lego or whatever it is, and like, we, we turn Christmas into at least a month, at least a month, that is Christmas. Christmas ornaments are a thing. Do we have ornaments for any other holiday? Not that I know of. Christmas ornaments are a thing. We have ornamental pickles and bacon that we hang on trees. That is a real thing, and I know that because I have an ornamental piece of bacon that I love and that we hang on a tree. That, that is Christmas. Am I right? That is Christmas. We might think, oh, this is just America being America, right? This is us, just us doing this thing. We take things too far in America. But did you know that in Caracas, on Christmas morning, they go to church, which is a wonderful thing. But they, just don't, they don't just go to church. On Christmas morning, they traditionally go to church on roller skates. That is a real and fantastic thing. That is the power of Christmas right there. Roller skates. How did that make its way into Jesus' birth? I don't know, but that... That is Christmas. We eat all kinds of things at Christmas. My favorite is chocolate-covered cherries. I love chocolate-covered cherries candy. They're wonderful. I don't know why we don't have them all year round, but that's okay because it makes Christmas better. I've already had a box. My brother bought me a box of chocolate-covered cherries, and it is fantastic. You know why further it's fantastic? My wife doesn't like cherry-flavored things. Yeah, and so they're all mine. The kids don't count. They're all mine, right? Yes, they are all mine, and I can enjoy them, and that is a fantastic thing. 
You think we're the only ones who do that? We don't. In South Africa, they eat, this is a real thing, they eat special fried Christmas caterpillars. That is a thing. Look it up, fried Christmas caterpillars. There's a new tradition for you if you want to try. I think what kind of caterpillar you use is probably important. Just putting that out there. All right, don't pull the ones off the tree, but fried Christmas caterpillars. My family growing up never had stockings. Now, I've quickly remedied that for my own children because it's Christmas, right? Who doesn't want to hang socks around your house? That is Christmas. I don't know why we do it, but we hang socks around our house. That is Christmas. Who doesn't want to do that? You know who doesn't do that? In Sweden, they don't do that, but you know what they do instead? And I picked this one out because I know some of you like these, all right? They make straw goats, and they use straw goats to decorate for Christmas. That's a new idea for many of you. It is goat season, right? Christmas is goat season. Make a straw goat. There you go. That is fantastic. Why do we do this? Why do we do this? Because it's Christmas. It is Christmas. The truth is, it doesn't need to make sense. It doesn't because it's Christmas. Why is Christmas such a big deal? Why is Christmas overtaken? I believe it is clearly put in three words, really just one word, but what we make three words in this passage. God with us. Emmanuel. God with us. That is unlike anything else. That in this world, God decided to come and to be with us. And that changed everything. It changed everything. As we continue and we recognize the hope that comes from this, that God is here with us, remember that, lock that hope away. Now, as we hear these words about God coming to be with us through Joseph, we we recognize a few things about history and tradition. We don't know a whole lot about Joseph, Jesus' father. The Bible doesn't say very much about Joseph. It seems like by the time Jesus actually comes into his ministry, Joseph is gone. And so our guess is that Joseph has passed away by that point. We don't actually know, but he just kind of disappears from history at that point. Through historical writings, we have some guesses about Joseph. Some of those guesses have made them themselves into tradition. But the truth is we don't really know that much about Joseph. How old was Joseph at this point in time? We don't know. Our guess is, is that maybe he was older, and that's a little bit just because he's passed away, and so we take that guess, but we don't know. Joseph could have been 14, he could have been 44, he could have been 74 at this moment. We don't know. We know that he was a carpenter, but how gifted, we don't know. The Greek language at this time actually had kind of two words for carpentry. One would be just a, a, a carpenter, and one would be more of an architect. The word that was used here was for a carpenter. And so we're guessing he was a guy who made furniture, who made tables and chairs and whatever else a house needed or required. But again, we don't know. Was Joseph previously married? We don't know. Did he have other children before marrying Mary, or did he and Mary have children together after Jesus? We still don't know. We know that Jesus had siblings. Were they half or full siblings? We don't really know. There's so many things we don't know about Joseph. But here we get a few things that are really incredibly important that we do know. We know that Joseph was a really good guy. He had a good heart and a kind spirit. Before Joseph and Mary were fully married, Mary is found to be pregnant. Joseph's response to this is one of kindness and of grace. 
He will follow the law. He will divorce her. He will do what's right, but he's going to do it quietly to protect her and to spare her from any hardship or as much hardship as he could. Joseph should feel hurt. He should feel betrayed. He should feel angry, and maybe he is, but he doesn't allow those things to control his actions. He does not only what is right, but he does what is kind, what is filled with grace. And then he gets this news through a dream. The news that this child Jesus is actually from God. That Mary wasn't unfaithful, and in fact, this was a blessing for the world that would change his life and the entire world. Now there's a part of that that has to still question him a little bit. That's pretty hard to explain to people. It's a little hard to just believe in this, right? I mean, he's had a dream where an angel has given him these instructions, and the dream, I'm sure, was very vivid, but do we just believe every vivid dream that we have? I don't know about you, but I don't believe every dream, every vivid dream that I have. My most vivid dreams happened when I was a child, and I would have this dream that I was being chased by a shark, uh, and, and I recognized that that was because my parents allowed me to watch Jaws at way too young of an age, and that shouldn't have happened. But I had those vivid dreams about a shark. Do I believe that that's going to happen? Hopefully not. I still go in the ocean every once in a while, and hopefully it's not going to happen. I've had dreams where the New York Jets have won the Super Bowl. Do I believe that dream? I would love to, but no, yeah, I'm not believing that that's happening anytime soon. Do we believe these vivid dreams. No, we don't. Will Joseph trust this dream? Will Joseph go through all of this? And here's the main, we find the main moment of decision with Joseph because there is a big breaking point. And scripture goes through this really quickly that Joseph just decides to make this happen. But, but it is a key big turning point that Joseph decides to believe in hope. And so through this, we see two, key, two keys to hope. Two keys. First, The first one is mainly for us. The second one is for our world when we look at hope. So this is first. What is the first thing we recognize when we look at hope, especially in terms of hope for ourselves? The first thing we recognize is this, hope is chosen. Hope is chosen. We recognize that hope has to be selected. It has to be sought after. It has to be grasped. Hope is, if you'll believe it or not, hope is here right now. Hope is all around us, but it has to be taken. In Matthew, we're given Joseph's genealogy, and I I said we'd come back to that, right? And when we look at Joseph's genealogy, and if you just look down that list of names, you'll see that there are some very powerful names in Joseph and in Jesus's genealogy, in their history. We see that in Joseph's line, there are these big names, King Solomon, King David, Boaz, Judah, Jacob, Isaac, and even Father Abraham. Now those are some of the biggest names in the Old Testament history. But here in Matthew, the gospel that was written to Jewish people, the gospel that should be politically correct, that should be filled with strength and doctrine, trying to prove who Jesus was, trying to prove that he is the Lord of lords, that he is the King of kings, that he is Jesus in that gospel, we see that there are some additions to the genealogy that are really interesting. Additions that wouldn't be in anybody else's genealogy. Specifically, it mentions four women. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. Now besides Ruth, the other three's relationships with their spouses 
did not exactly start honorably in any way. In fact, Bathsheba's name, you'll notice, is not there. It just refers to her as someone else's wife because almost to name her name is almost a little bit too scary, right? And so they don't say that, but they do mention her there. Now, you can research their lives and why maybe a lot of their lives and decisions weren't honorable leading up to being a part of Jesus' genealogy and Joseph's genealogy, but you'll notice that through their lives and decisions, they had some rough stories, some rough moments. And if you look at these four women, probably who were all foreigners to begin with, they are all coming from difficult situations. But through those difficult situations, we saw and we see God work and move. And we see that through those moments and those difficult situations came incredible kings and the one who would become the king of kings, the Lord of lords, the savior of the world. There is, I imagine, a history in Joseph's family of saying this, if not in words, at least you see it clearly through their actions. It is this idea of saying that I know the situation we find ourselves in is difficult. I know it feels impossible. I know it looks like there is no way out, but I choose to find hope. I choose hope. Joseph's current situation is much the same. It had to feel impossible. How could this work? How could he accept Mary and this child and this whole situation? How could he make this work? But Joseph chose hope. Like his parents and his great-grandparents and his great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents, Joseph chose hope. I know that hope for us is sometimes hard to see. Quite possibly in your current situation, maybe in your marriage, in a relationship with your children, with your finances, whatever it is, you may look at a situation and you say, this is impossible. The temptation is there for us to shut down. Shutting down is the easiest thing to do, the thing that often makes sense. It is, it is so simple to just give up. Everything that makes sense tells us that it's over. It tells us to stop. It tells us that there isn't a chance. But we know that that's not how God works. In fact, as we look at Joseph and at his genealogy, at all of life, we see that God takes the worst hurts, the most difficult situations, often even the most embarrassing moments, and he takes those things and he turns them into our strengths, into our victories, into our moments of greatest pride That is what God does. And so may we recognize that hope is all around us, that hope is right here. The question is, will we take it? Will we choose it? Will we just believe? I see it all the time. The truth is, as a pastor, as I get a chance at times to to counsel people, to unfortunately be involved in, in individuals' lives, maybe more than they want me to at times, I see the thing that kills marriages, that separates families, that that ends relationships, that that returns us to addictions, that that gives up on life. The truth is it is never the situation. It is always a choice. It is always a choice. And so I encourage you in this. Right now, don't give up. Don't give up. Choose hope. Choose hope. It's there for you to grab. Now, there's another key to understanding hope, and 
And this one is true for our own lives, but I think it's just as true for where we want to, when we want to take hope to other people in our lives and to, to make hope a reality. And the second truth about hope is this. Hope is messy. Hope is messy. Now, hope takes a lot of work. It does. Hope means getting yourselves and your hands dirty. Hope means going forward, going out, and if you want to give it to others, it means going to them, striving for them. It means working for them. For hope to become real for Joseph, he was going to have to work, and life was going to become messy. Joseph was going to have to be the father to a child that in many ways wasn't his. That would mean swallowing his pride first and foremost. Further, it would mean facing family and friends in a community that probably wouldn't understand his decision. He was going to get looks. There were going to be questions. There would probably be a lot of gossip. And then there was simply the practical side of things. We find out later that his son, that Jesus would be hunted and that his family, Joseph leading the way, would have to leave everything they know, home and business, all of it behind, and flee to Egypt. We recognize this, hope is messy. It means going forward. Like our faith, it is what we believe, but it is further and fully more taken shape when we step forward and do something about it. We know that is our truth with our faith. We are saved by our faith. We are saved by what we believe, but it only really begins to change our lives here on earth when we step forward in that faith. And that is the same truth with hope. Hope is here. It is something we choose. It is something we believe. We have to grasp it. But if we want to take it and change the world with our hope, we have to step forward. We have to get messy. We have to. If you want to bring hope, to your life, to your marriage, to your family, to your friendships, to your community, to your future, guess what? You are going to have to get messy. You might have to get messy, and I know that that means a lot of things. It may mean swallowing your pride. It will absolutely, positively mean you sacrificing. You may have to sacrifice your stuff. You may have to sacrifice your finances. You may have to sacrifice your time. You may have to sacrifice getting your way. You may have to sacrifice your opinion, your desire for how to live your life. It will probably mean humbling yourself, lowering yourself, even knowing that others will talk about you and deciding that you don't care. If you need hope for some area of your life or simply hope for all of your life, I encourage you to get messy. Get your hands dirty. Do the uncomfortable thing. Have the conversation you need to have. Write the apology. Ask for help. Invite someone to dinner. Step out. Take that step. If there is someone in your life right now that needs hope, someone in your family, in your friendship circle, in your community, in your church, wherever, the answer is the same. Get messy. If you want to bring hope, step out do the difficult, often uncomfortable, usually sacrificial thing that they need. The truth is this. For others and other people in this world, when we want to bring them hope, we recognize that we probably are unable to fix their actual situation that has put them in a dark moment. Our mission, though, isn't to fix their life. They have to choose to do that for themselves. Our mission is is to give them hope. Our mission is to give them hope. 
to give them just that little glimpse that says, I can believe. Something can change. I can take this step forward. And that means going to them, getting our hands dirty, bringing them hope. At the start of this message, we ask, why is Christmas so important? And we came up with this answer, Emmanuel, God with us. It is the meaning of of all that is Christmas. God has come to be with us. Christmas is special because God came to be with us. God lowered himself, humbled himself, he became man. He sacrificed, he struggled, he labored. In many ways, he allowed himself, and he did, he allowed himself to be humiliated. He very simply got messy, he got dirty, and because of all of that, the world changed and hope arrived. God is with us. He is here. I encourage you to choose hope today. Choose hope. And then go get messy and carry hope to someone else in your life. Go get messy. I don't always like to speak about my own, I shouldn't say that, I speak about my own life experiences a lot, but I recognize that and so I don't always like to talk about it because I often feel like I do it too much, but this morning I I felt like in this kind of situation, all I can do is speak to you from what I've experienced when it comes to hope. And so I want to leave you with what I've experienced. Maybe that'll help you in a moment. In my life, when I think back, I can think back of like the three more difficult moments in my life. The first was when I was in college, Thanksgiving time, right before Thanksgiving break, and I got the call from my father that my mother had passed away. The second is... So when I found myself having diverticulitis surgery and through that moment there was one little incision where they put a camera inside me to kind of look around and make sure that everything was going well and from that little incision it didn't heal or close properly and I continued to bleed to where there was blood pulling all the way from up here to down here just kind of pulled in my muscle and I was black and blue for weeks from that but for a period they didn't know where I was bleeding and what was happening and it just kind of kept happening and I was losing blood and I had to get a transfusion and and when you're like losing blood, for some reason, like you, your hope kind of fades because like your energy and everything kind of fades. And I can remember being in the hospital and being in a dark moment thinking, this is it. This is it. Kind of one of the other dark moments, and it's kind of funny because it was a victory moment, but a tough moment was when we had the opportunity to have our first child, Stella, who is perfect in every way, shape, or form. But being new parents and being in a place where we didn't have a lot of friends and a lot of family and no one seemed to gather around us and we're trying to figure out parenthood and all of these things and feeding a child and getting sleep and and we were just at wit's end, pulling out our hair, being exhausted, having no sleep, being in all of those situations, feeling completely undone as parents. In all three of those situations, someone stepped in. They couldn't fix the situation for us. But what they could do is they could bring us hope. I remember getting the news about my mother, and I remember my college friends taking me into their dorm room. They ordered chicken wings. They set up a movie that I can't even remember, but they sat and they spent time with me, and they helped me in that dark moment know that I was loved. And they couldn't fix it. My mom was gone. They couldn't fix it, but they could let me know that I was loved and cared for, and they could give me that little bit of hope. I can remember in that hospital feeling completely drained, 
And my pastor, our district superintendent, a man by the name of Dr. Harry Wood, he came into that hospital, and it seemed like Jesus walked into that hospital. He couldn't fix me. He couldn't make the doctors figure out what was going on, but he just let us know that we were not alone, and that for some reason, somehow he reminded me that God was in control, and whatever was happening, it was going to be okay. And I can remember Julie and I being at wit's end with our first child, not knowing what to do, and my brother driving hours to be at our house to come to us and to tell us that tonight you're going to go to sleep and I'm going to take care of your daughter for a night and you can get a night of sleep. And I know that seems simple, but I know it changed because there was hope. And there was hope. Right now there's someone in your life. I know you can't change their situation. You can't fix it. They have to figure it out and fix it. But this is what you can do. You can help them recognize that there is a chance. You can help them see that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that God is in control, and that there is hope in this world. And so I encourage you in that. If it's family, if it's friends, if it's someone in this church, if it's someone right seated right next to you right now, I encourage you to just do that. Go get your hands dirty. Get messy. Do that thing to bring someone hope. Join me in a word of prayer. Father in heaven, God above, God, I am so thankful that there are people in this world who in my darkest moments, they, they couldn't fix my situation, God, but they could change it completely because they brought me hope. God, I'm thankful that you put those people in my life. God, for each and every one of us here this morning, as we come into this Christmas season, we recognize that, that hope is real and it is true. And we, your people, get to be part of sharing that hope with the world. And so, God, I ask that you would allow us, that you would drive us, that you would encourage us, that you would push us forward into getting dirty, into getting messy. God, if we need hope for our own lives right now, we recognize that it just has to be chosen, it just has to be grasped, and let us take that opportunity. But God, if there are those in our lives who, who need help with that, who need help seeing the hope, God, let us step forward for them. Whatever that sacrifice, that humbling experience, that moment of sacrifice of our time and our efforts and who we are, let us do it. God, there is hope for our relationships. There is hope for our marriages. There is hope for our children. There is hope for our friendships. There is hope for this community. There is hope for this church. Let us grab a hold of that hope and let us get messy and spread that hope to the world. Bless us, God, with that truth. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.